Welcome, and thank you for joining us on the City Point Church Sermon Podcast, where our desire is to help you follow Jesus. We are so glad that you are here, and wherever you are listening from, we believe that God has something in store for you through today's message. If you're new to City Point Church, uh, one of our pillars is that we, we are committed to Bible preaching. We are committed to taking books of the Bible and breaking them down into paragraphs and then just working line by line through what God has spoken. And we believe that God's word is true, it is relevant, it is alive, and it is at work today. And so as we gather each and every week in this room, we take a portion of time to go to God's word and to study it and to declare it and then to trust the spirit of God to apply it to our lives. And so we are starting a new series in the book of Colossians. It's about a 15-week series, and I just want to encourage our church family, let's commit to this series. Let's really expect and anticipate what God is going to do in our lives as we put ourselves under the authority of God's Word and allow His Word to speak to us. We're calling this series, Jesus Above All, and we sang about it a moment ago. Worthy is your name. He is, he is the name that is above every other name, both on earth as well as in heaven. And so this book of Colossians speaks of the preeminence and the supremacy of Christ. And so I am looking forward to our journey through this book starting this morning. We're going to begin in chapter 1. By the way, if you don't have a copy of God's Word, there's one underneath a chair nearby. And you're welcome to grab that and use that. Page 924 will get you right to Colossians chapter 1. We're going to begin in verse 1. Paul is the writer here. He writes a good portion of the New Testament, and as is his tradition, he starts with an introduction in these first two verses. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. That term apostle is the capital A apostle. It's the office of the apostle that God gave to the early church to start churches and to establish churches. So Paul had a very unique ministry as an apostle, an evangelistic ministry where he was starting churches, but then also much of his ministry was through letters like we're reading here where he would send teaching and doctrine back to these churches to help to strengthen them. And so he says here that he is an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. That's his authority. And then we see that he is co-laboring with a man by the name of Timothy, who he calls our brother. In verse 2, we see who the recipients of this letter are. To the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. That phrase, in Christ, is one of Paul's favorite terms to speak of our relationship to God as Christians. We are in Christ And so to the saints, he says, that term means the holy ones, which has undertones of what we study and understand in the Old Testament, to the holy ones and to the faithful brothers, because we are now family. That term brothers is gender neutral. It's not specific to men. It's brothers and sisters. To the saints, to the holy ones, and to the brothers and sisters who are in Christ at Colossae. That's in modern-day Turkey. So this is a geographical location. There is a church that is gathered here. And so this is like saying to the church at Tempe. Or maybe even more specifically to the church at City Point. He's writing this letter 
to Christians, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus, the holy ones who've been set apart in Christ. And then he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Verse 3 picks up the portion of our paragraph for today as he begins with a paragraph of gratitude. He says to them, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, all the holy ones, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epiphras. Our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Paul is in chains, in bondage for preaching the gospel, and he hears about this church at Colossae through a man by the name of Epaphras. Paul did not start this church. Epaphras, many believe, is the one who took the gospel to this region of Colossae and established a New Testament gospel preaching and believing church. But Paul has heard of them through Epaphras, and so now he's writing a letter back to them to encourage them. So this is the paragraph that we will study and unpack here this morning. And if you are in the habit of keeping notes, which I would encourage you to do, every week we give a big idea, and this big idea sits over top of the text. And so here is the big idea for this paragraph this morning. The gospel works. It's simple. It's straightforward. The gospel works. Have you ever asked yourself the question, is this working? I walked out to my backyard about two weeks ago and my pool was green. Clearly something was not working. Maybe you have, as a parent, often wondered with your kids, is this working? The things that I'm wanting to instill in them, the things that I'm wanting them to learn... Maybe they're struggling in school and you're trying to teach them math and help them and tutor them at home and you're just wondering to yourself, is this working? Am I making any difference in the life of my child? Maybe it's in the area of fitness or nutrition. Maybe you're trying to lose some weight or maybe you're trying to eat better. So you're going gluten-free and sugar-free and flavor-free and you're doing doing everything that you can do and you just, you kind of step back sometimes. You're like, man, is this making any difference? Like, is this actually working? Or maybe there's a relationship in your life that's strained and you're seeking reconciliation in that relationship and you're pursuing that relationship but you're just wondering, boy, is all of that effort making any difference? Has has healing started? Is any difference being made in this relationship? And when we ask that question, is this working, what we're looking for is evidence. We're looking for proof. We're looking for results with our kids. We're looking for the evidence that their grades are getting better. We're looking for the evidence that they're, they're taking ownership of their attitudes and their actions. We're looking for some things to improve. If it's with our health or with, our, with nutrition, we're looking for the evidence of, well, hey, I'm starting to lose some weight. Or I'm starting to sleep better. I've got better clarity in the way that I'm thinking. I feel like I've got more energy. We're looking for evidence to point back to the reality that, yes, this is working. Or maybe in that strained relationship that you're seeking to mend, you're looking for the evidence of reconciliation and forgiveness and communication again. Because evidence is the proof that something is working. 
And so when I say the gospel works, what we're going to see in the life of this church at Colossae is that there is evidence all over the place that it's working. I'm afraid that many Christians today and American Christians and American churches, we've gotten to the point where normal is little to no evidence of the gospel at work. We've got our programs, we've got our buildings, we've got our Christian concerts, we've got our favorite speakers, we've got our podcasts, we've got our deep-thinking theologians that articulate all of our favorite isms just the way we like to hear, we've got our Christian coffee shops, we've got our Christian merch, we've got all of these things, but is there truly evidence that the gospel power is at work in our lives and in our churches? I don't know if the church at Colossae had a coffee shop. They probably didn't. I don't know if the church at Colossae had any church merch, but I can promise you that the church at Colossae had a gospel that was working because we see the evidence in this paragraph this morning. We see the evidence as Paul is writing to them this prayer of gratitude that yes, in fact, it was working and things were taking place. So I wanna make very clear this morning, the gospel works. If there is a lack of evidence, it is not because the gospel is broken. It is because we have deviated from the New Testament Christianity that God has intended for the church to possess. The gospel works. And so in Paul's opening greeting here, what we find is a functioning gospel. So the question we want to ask this morning that I believe this text will help to answer is this. How do we know where the gospel is at work? How do we know where the gospel is moving and active? Well, there will be three evidences that we will find that will point back to this truth and this reality that the gospel is at work. And these evidences are lifted right from this first paragraph. I want you to see it with me. The first point here, if you're keeping notes, you can write this down. Where the gospel is at work, we will see, number one, community marked by gospel transformation. I want you to see it in verse 3. He says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Paul, in this prayer of gratitude, highlights three marks of gospel transformation, and they're right there. Faith in Christ Jesus, love for the saints, love for the brothers and sisters in Christ, and hope for the future, hope that is laid up in heaven, hope that is confident and expectant that Christ is coming again. Faith, love, and hope. And these are the recurring themes and the recurring marks that are evidences in a community of followers of Jesus that the gospel is, in fact, at work. So what does he mean by this? Faith in Christ Jesus is the first mark. Faith will always have an object. If we, have, if we put our belief in government, then the object of our faith is politicians. If we put our faith in science, then the object of our faith is the scientific method. If we put our belief in philosophy, then the object of our faith is in the, the great minds and the great thinkers. And when as followers of Jesus we put our belief in Christianity, then the object of our faith is Jesus. Jesus is the object of our faith. And let me just say to you this morning that faith is not meant to be blind. It says in verse 6 of the church at Colossae, since the day you heard it and understood it. 
See, the gospel is not just something that we put faith in and we don't understand anything about, but that faith is based on the knowledge of the person and the work of Jesus. And so if you're here this morning and you're, you're a skeptic, I invite you to kick the tires. I invite you to lift the hood. I invite you to examine Christianity, examine Jesus. He's not afraid of your questions. He's not afraid of your doubts. He's not afraid of your uncertainties. It's not about a blind faith where you're just kind of walking into this with eyes closed shut, not sure what's going on. It is faith in Jesus, faith in a person. He is the object of our faith. And he is the one who gives our faith confidence. But then it also says that they have a love for other believers. The second half of verse 4, of the love that you have for all the saints, for all the holy ones. This is a very specific type of love. It is a love for other followers of Jesus. Yes, as Christians, we are called to love the world. Yes, as Christians, we are called to love everyone. But there is something unique about the love that we find in here that is unparalleled to all the love that is found out there. The way that we love one another is a mark of gospel transformation. Because we don't love just as we want to be loved. We love as we have been loved. It is a love that forgives the transgressor. It is a love that pursues the wanderer. It is a love that lifts the burden. It is a love that fights for the weak. It is a love that responds to the needy. And of all of the ways that God could choose to make his name and make his fame seen in the world, he has chosen the love of his people. It's his marketing strategy. It's how he gets the message out. Jesus says, by this people will know that you are my disciples. By your Bible knowledge? No. By the number of people that you lead to Christ? No. By, by the amount of money that you give to a church? No. By this, all men and women will know that you are my followers, that you are my disciples by the way that you love each other. How are we doing this morning? How are we doing? Let's start with this room. Let's start with the people in this room. How are we doing loving the people that are our brothers and sisters in Christ? That is a mark of true gospel transformation in a community. Faith in Christ Jesus, love for other believers, and then the third mark is hope. Hope that is laid up, that, that means to reserve or to store up in heaven. And if you've been around the Bible any length of time, and if you've heard preaching on the topic of hope, you've probably heard it said that this is not just wishful thinking. This is not like, boy, I hope the weather breaks here soon in Phoenix. This is a hope that is a confident expectation. It's as good as done. Are we that kind of people? We have a hope that is, that is unshakable, that is certain, that is secure in the promises of God, that our king will return and we will one day rule and reign with him as the people of God. There is a faith anchored in Christ. There is a love dispersed to the believers and there is a hope that is settled and secure. These are the marks that are the reoccurring evidence of a gospel community. As you study the New Testament and read the different letters that were written to these different locations in these different churches, look for it. Look for the faith, for the love, and for the hope, because it's there. Because it's, it's the reoccurring evidence that the gospel is working. As a matter of fact, let me share with you just one other church. A church at Thessalonica, Paul, the same writer, writes to this church, and this is going to sound oddly familiar. 
He says, we give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Because that's what the gospel does. It produces among us a faith in Jesus, a love for others, and a hope for the day that is coming. So I wonder, what's on display here at City Point Church? As we read this paragraph and you see the word you or your, your faith, your love, your hope, that word you and your is plural. This isn't just individually apply this, but this is all of us collectively. Is this on display here at City Point Church? In the 18th century London, retailers began adding large windows to the front of their shops. And then they would start to put on display in those large windows some of the merchandise that was for sale in their shop because they wanted people to know what they could expect when they walked in. And a a term was coined that we still use today, window shopping. And in 18th century London, the middle class was growing. People had more discretionary funds. And so they would stroll the the streets and they would see these these windows. And inside these windows, there would be some product or there would would be some some merchandise that that was displayed there. And so they would know what to expect when they walked into that retail shop. I wonder what's on display in the front window of City Point Church. What can people expect to see and experience when they walk in? Is it faith? Is it love? Is it hope? These are the marks that consistently identify the people of God and are on display in the church of God. Faith in Christ, that unshakable confidence in the name that is above every other name. Love for each other where we are meeting real and tangible needs. One of the reasons I love our life groups that are starting up this week is because that's an opportunity for real needs to be met. And then hope for the future. But the kind of hope that is not just wishful thinking, but it is a confident expectation that, that quite literally changes the way that we live. Every time we gather, we have the opportunity to display these marks once again. You might be here this morning thinking, John, I'm a little low on faith. I'm not sure I've got the capacity to love as you articulate One of the beauties of this being written to a community is that the community is not just a place to display faith, love, and hope, but it's also a place to dispense faith, love, and hope. And so if you're here running a little little low on faith, borrow some of mine. If you're here not sure that you can love, that's okay, just receive some of it. If you're here not certain that, that your confidence is the same as the person's next to you, that's okay. Just allow us to sing these songs over you and around you and to stir your faith and to renew your confident hope once again in Jesus. Where the gospel is at work, we will see community marked by gospel transformation. But number two, where the gospel is at work, we will also see territory reclaimed through gospel expansion. Now I want you to see this in verse 5, the second half of verse 5 into verse 6. He says, of this, pointing back to the hope laid up in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you. So 
Church at Colossae, you have received, you have heard this gospel. It has come to you. But then he says this, as indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. The whole world has always been God's redemptive target. The whole world has always been God's heart. It's always been God's desire and God's pursuit and God's kingdom to the whole world began in the garden. If you're not familiar with the story, on the sixth day of creation, God created Adam and Eve. He created man and woman and he placed them into a garden. That garden was a specific geographical location here on this earth and that garden represented the very presence of God. If you will, it was the precursor to the temple. It was the place where God and man, man would walk together in the cool of the day. But God gave to Adam a command, if you will, a commission. And in Genesis 1.28, God said to them, to Adam and to Eve, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Take Eden to the world. Take my presence to the rest of the world and fill the earth with my presence. Take my kingdom beyond this garden so that the whole earth is full of my glory and full of my presence. But Adam would fail. Because he partook of the fruit and because of his sin, Adam and Eve, they were removed from the garden. They were removed from the presence of God because sin and God cannot co-inhabit the same place. Then the sons and the daughters of Adam continued to live sinfully and rebelliously against the one true God. They eventually would build a tower rising to the heavens to try to make a name for themselves and to try to ascend to the heights of the gods. But God would send confusion to their languages. And he would disperse them over the earth and scatter the nations and then he would disinherit them as his people, allowing them to be ruled by the lesser gods. But God still had a plan for expanding his kingdom. And so God would sovereignly choose one man by the name of Abraham whose wife would supernaturally conceive in her old age. God would then reissue to Abraham this Edenic command that now through Abraham all, na all the nations of the earth would be blessed and from Abraham's lineage would come the nation of Israel and through Israel they would be God's portion among all the rest of the world to take God's name to that world and to fulfill his purposes on this earth. But Israel would fail. And God would ultimately divorce his own people because of their spiritual adultery in running to the other gods of the disinherited nations. But God still had a plan for expanding his kingdom to the world. So God would finally send his one and only son, supernaturally conceived of the Holy Spirit. Jesus was fully God and fully man, and he would accomplish what all the others failed to do. You see, Jesus as the second Adam would reverse the curse of the first Adam, and Jesus as the second Israel would be faithful to the covenant unlike the first Israel. So now all who believe in Jesus by faith will become sons and daughters of God. And today, God still has a plan for expanding his kingdom to the world. And that plan is the church. So you're going to have to excuse us if we get a little excited when we sing a song like King of Kings. Now this gospel truth of old will not kneel and it will not fail. 
that now through the church, and the church, by the way, is not organized religion. The church is the very people of God who have been transformed by the gospel, who have been filled by the Spirit, and now we have been sent with an Edenic command to take Eden to the world, to take the presence of God to those nations that have been disinherited so that once again they can be brought back into the very family of God. That is our commission, that is our calling, that now we are taking the gospel to the world. And so Paul writes to this church at Colossae, and he says, the gospel has come to you, but listen, it doesn't stop with you. Because God's plan is that the whole world would bear fruit and increase as the gospel expands. Now, when will God's kingdom stop expanding? I'm glad you asked. Matthew 24, verse 14, Jesus said, And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Until all have heard, that's when it stops. You might be wondering, why, why do I feel like I'm not seeing this? I've often thought that. I read a verse like what Jesus just said there in Matthew 24, 14, and I look around and I think, why do I feel like there's, there's, a, there's a lot of ground still to cover? Because of the reality that there is another kingdom at play. There is not just the kingdom of light, but there is also the kingdom of darkness. And that kingdom of darkness is facilitating evil and promoting evil and trying to push back against the expansion of light. And so while we are preaching good news, the kingdom of darkness is preaching bad news. And so as you watch the news and as you scroll your Instagram feed, you're seeing a lot of that bad news. But take heart. Because Jesus said that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. We are on the move and the church is winning. But I have to tell you that the kingdom of light is expanding. We might just not be looking in the right places. In China right now, there's an underground church that in spite of persecution is flourishing. And I read even yesterday that there is an estimated 1 billion Christians in China right now. Under, under the persecution and the threat that they could even lose their own life, they come into gatherings one at a time because if they were all to come at the same time, it might bring too much attention to what they're doing and the government would come, up, come in and haul them off to prison. But they're gathering anyway and they're putting faith in Jesus and they're being baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and they're going out and they're telling their neighbors. And in Africa right now, there are reports of the gospel spreading like wildfire as people are coming to faith in Jesus and turning from the kingdom of darkness and walking in the kingdom of the sun. And in the Middle East right now, under intense spiritual opposition, people are coming to faith by droves, understanding that by, by pledging allegiance to Jesus and by pledging allegiance to the one true God, that it means oftentimes they will be disowned by their very own families. But even here in America... You may have heard recently of the Asbury College Revival. Week after week after week, college students, a generation, a, a generation coming up that is hungry and eager to see God work. And it was amazing as reports were coming out about what God was doing on that campus, how Christians were skeptical. Can I just tell you, church, don't tell the wind of the Spirit where to blow. Don't tell the Spirit what He is supposed to look like when He shows up. 
It might be that revival is happening, but we don't see it because it doesn't look like what we thought it was going to look like. But when God shows up, people are coming to faith, lives are turning to Jesus, marriages are being put back together, transformation is taking place. And I believe that God is still at work today because of the promise that his kingdom is ever expanding, pushing back against the kingdom of darkness. But I must offer to us this morning an advance warning that expansion will face opposition. Because we are reclaiming territory, that means that we are crossing enemy lines. And much of what we are going to find in the book of Colossians when we talk about how Jesus is above all, there is a reality that the book of Colossians is going to unpack for us that there is an enemy. There is an adversary. There is an opponent to the expansion of God's kingdom. And we're going to get a glimpse into that unseen realm as Paul pulls back the veil and helps us to see that this is not a battle of flesh and blood, but this is a battle of principalities and powers and rulers and darkness and kingdoms. And so what we are doing is a spiritual battle. What we are engaged in is a spiritual battle. See that for what it is. On June 6, 1944, the Allied forces attacked the beaches of Normandy in what became known as the largest amphibious invasion in military history. And on that day, known as D-Day, a beachfront was established in Europe that many war historians believe was the battle that won World War II. But what's amazing is that the battle continued 11 more months after D-Day. So while the battle was won, the fighting continued. And I want us to understand this morning as followers of, Je of Jesus that the battle has been won. We have a D-Day. As a matter of fact, in one of the most dramatic verses in all of the book of Colossians, in Colossians 2 verses 14 and 15, it says, Jesus canceled the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Here it is, verse 15. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame, triumphing over them in him. The cross was our D-Day. The cross was the day that Jesus was victorious over the enemy, but the battle continues. And while the battle has been won for us, the fighting continues. And so as we engage this week and as we go from this place, understand that what we are engaging in is a spiritual battle of cosmic proportions. But the church is on the offensive. The gates of hell will not prevail. And so every time a group of Christians gathers for prayer, the gospel is expanding. Every time you go to that coworker or to that doormate or to that classmate and you share the gospel with them, the gospel, the kingdom is expanding. Every time a new church is started, the kingdom expands. Every time someone goes to a foreign field with the message of the gospel, the kingdom is expanding. And it is continuing to expand that the name of Christ may be lifted high. And so Paul says to Colossae, this message of the gospel has come to you, but it does not stop with you. And just as that message has now come to us, I want us to understand this morning that it does not stop with us. God intends for that to continue to expand and for the gospel to continue to reclaim territory through that expansion. 
Where the gospel is at work, we will see community marked by transformation, territory reclaimed through expansion. And number three, we will see people moved toward gospel mission. People moved toward that kingdom expansion. Verse 7 of our text, he says, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the spirit. Epaphras, who is this guy? The Bible doesn't say much about him. As a matter of fact, there are only three mentions of him. Two of them are right here in this book. But Epaphras was this Jesus-loving, mission-pursuing, ordinary guy. Not a whole lot extraordinary about him. We find out in chapter 4 that he's from Colossae. Many scholars believe that he would have gone to Ephesus and heard Paul preach at Ephesus and come to faith in Jesus. And then he goes back to his hometown with that gospel and starts evangelizing and starts discipling and starts leading people to Jesus and talking to them about what that means to follow in Jesus' footsteps. And now all of a sudden there's a church established here. Not much extraordinary about this guy. He's called a faithful servant. He's called a faithful minister. In chapter 4, it says that Epaphras is always struggling on your behalf in prayer that you may stand mature and fully assured in the will of God. He's just this passionate, Jesus-loving dude. Doesn't need a lot of recognition. Doesn't need a lot of platform. Doesn't need his name in lights. Just wants to tell people about Jesus. Can I just say this morning, God chooses human agents to do his divine work. Whether it was Adam and Eve or Abraham or the little boy and his lunch that he brought thinking to just feed himself. And now all of a sudden, through that miraculous power, Jesus now feeds 5,000. Or maybe it was that woman at the well. That woman who, in spite of her disqualifying past, Jesus chose that woman to be the first to publicly announce that his, that his arrival had come. The list goes on. You read the book of Acts, you find people like Lydia and Phoebe and Epinatus and Andronicus and Junia and Urbanus and Stychus and Apelles and Herodian and Tryphania and Tryphosa and Persis and Rufus. And you're like, I don't even know who those people are. And that's the point. Just ordinary people willing to be used by an extraordinary God to move toward mission and to see what God could do to continue to expand his kingdom. It's what God does. As a general rule, God uses ordinary people to do his extraordinary work. Romans 10 verse 14, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And don't misunderstand the word preaching. It's not talking about a stage with a table and some notes and a Bible open. It's just talking about heralding. Sharing the truth to a coworker, to a friend, to a classmate, with all of the nerves and the insecurities that you might bring to that conversation, yes, even then God wants to use you. To call they have to believe, to believe they have to hear, and to hear they just need someone to tell them. So now it's our turn. God used Paul to get the message to Epaphras. God used Epaphras to get the message to Colossae. 
God no doubt used somebody, some agent, some human person in your life in some way to bring that message to you and now it's your turn and now it's my turn to just be an ordinary, everyday Christian taking the hope of Jesus to a lost and dying world, pushing back against the kingdom of darkness and expanding the kingdom of light. You're thinking, me? Yes, you. Even you. It's time to look in the mirror. It's time to understand that God is not just looking for pastors and church leaders. God is not just looking for those with all of the Bible answers and the seminary degrees. God is not just looking for those who are adults and mature in their faith, but also the children and also the teenager, also the young adults, also the college students. God's not looking for the person that's got it all put together. God's just looking for availability. Somebody who will say, here am I. Somebody who will say, God, if you're willing to use an ordinary epiphras, then you can use me. In all of our ordinariness, God wants to use us as we move towards mission. You may, or may have, you may or may not have ever heard the name Pete Gregg, but as a teenager, Pete got a burden for prayer. And he gathered some of his friends, and he began to start praying with those friends, and it just started something in his heart for that ministry of prayer. And as an adult, Pete began to hear about movements of God and movements of prayer. And in church history, there's a group of people called the Moravians. And the Moravians prayed for 100 years. And as that group of Christians prayed, God began to send great mission efforts through the Moravians to the world. And so Pete began to get stirred up in his own heart thinking, well, if the Moravians could pray for 100 years... I wonder what would happen if a group of people got together and prayed one month for 24 hours a day. And so Pete Gregg decided to start a 24-hour prayer chain, a 24-hour prayer room. And in that room, for one month, people prayed every minute for that entire 30 days. And that was 25 years ago. And that prayer room is still in existence today. And along with that 24-hour prayer room, it is now expanded to 22,000 24-hour prayer rooms in 78 nations. Because one ordinary guy was moved toward mission. You might be sitting here thinking, well, I'm not the Apostle Paul. And I'm not the great Martin Luther, and I'm not the Baptist preacher Charles Spurgeon, but could you be an Epiphras? Just a faithful minister of Christ? Just a faithful servant? I got a text this morning at about 8.30. I was in my office just kind of looking over my notes and preparing for the day today, and I got a text from a man in the community, this message. I I've never met him before, but he messaged me, and he said, when I was at the lowest part of my life, your sign out front gave me hope and I met Jesus. Listen, if God can use an LED sign, he can use you. And he can use me. He's not looking for anything extraordinary. Not ability, just availability. Just someone willing to say, I love Jesus. And I want to take that message of hope to somebody who doesn't know him. Say, John, what, what do I do next with this? Well, what is God calling you to? 
What do you sense is that stirring and that moving in your soul and your spirit, and you just know that God has put that there? What has God called you to, or who has God called you to? Maybe there's a person, somebody specific at your workplace, and you know, you know that you're not in that workplace by accident. God has placed you there for that person. Who is that person? Start with prayer. Pray for that person. Pray for that opportunity. Pray for however God is stirring you. Like Peter was stirred towards prayer. Pete Pete Greg, like he was stirred towards that 24-hour prayer chain. Just start praying about it and then move in obedience. Do what he tells you to do. Don't do what I'm telling you to do. Do what the king has told you to do. And follow him in obedience. And watch as he does the miraculous. Because the gospel works. The gospel works. If there is a lack of evidence, it's not because the gospel is broken. It's because we have deviated from that gospel. It's because we are preaching something else or living something else or believing something else. I don't ever want to get to the point where at City Point Church, the normal is little to no evidence of gospel work. We might have some buildings, and we might have some fresh paint on the walls, and we might start putting some programs together, and we might start having some life groups, and we might have some great community that we love, but may it never be said of City Point Church that the gospel power has gone out. And when the gospel is at work, we will see a community marked by transformation, the faith, the love, and the hope. It's just going to be all over this place. It's going to be on display in this place. We're going to see territory being reclaimed through gospel expansion. Where is God leading us as a church? Listen, it's not just us four and no more. God has work for us to do in this city. God has work for us to do on that campus. God has work for us to do in this neighborhood. There is territory to be reclaimed. I promise you there's going to be opposition, but don't worry, we're on the winning side. And as the gospel is at work, it's going to be seen and evidenced as people like Epaphras, just ordinary, everyday, faithful ministers of Jesus are moved toward mission. Yeah, I can take the gospel to that person. I can do that. I can love that person like Jesus. I can do that. I can pray for them. I can minister in their lives. I can do that. Not that person over there, not that leader in the church, not that pastor in the church. No, me. I'll do it. I can do it. If God can use Epaphras... God can use me. The gospel works. We are going to continue 14 more paragraphs through the book of Colossians. And I'm eager to see what God has for us. I'm eager to see what his spirit wants to teach us as a church community. But let's start with this truth. And let's never forget this truth, that the gospel works. Here's our learning to live this morning. Just three simple questions as we make application, and then we'll be done. Learning to live, number one, who or what is the object of your faith? I think we need to answer that question personally for ourselves. Who or what is the object of your faith? The amount of your faith is not as important as the object of your faith. But if, you, if the object of your faith is something other or someone other than Jesus, friend, come to Jesus today. The gospel works. And the gospel news is that Jesus took your sin and took your debt so that you could be forgiven. And when you put your faith in Jesus, that sin debt is removed and you become transformed through the work of Christ.
Number two, is the gospel working? Take inventory in your own life. Is the gospel working? If the answer is no, it's not because the gospel's broken. It's not because the gospel doesn't work. Allow the spirit of Christ to bring you back to the truth of the gospel, the truth that is found in Christ, and allow his work to continue. And if your answer to that question is yes, right now in your life, the gospel is working, then let's go. Let's go. Because the kingdom is expanding and God has work for us to do as a church. And then number three, who do you know who needs an epiphras? Who do you know that just needs an everyday, ordinary guy or girl to go to them, to love them like Jesus, and to share the good news of Christ? Start with your circle and then be the epiphras. Be the one that moves toward mission. Can we pray together? Father, we are grateful for the moments that you've given to us to begin a journey through the book of Colossians. And Father, I pray that you would help us as we want and desire your spirit to make application on this truth. I pray, God, that you would have your will and have your way in our church and in our lives. May we just not be okay with normal being little to no evidence. But may you stir us and spark that reviving work in us so that we would be the people that go with the gospel that is, that is working and make a difference in our homes and in our communities for the glory of Christ. And we'll thank you. We'll thank you for what you do. We'll thank you for what you continue to do. And we pray this in Christ's name. Thank you for joining us today. To find out more about City Point Church, visit us online at citypointaz.com. You can also find us on social media at CityPointAZ. Be sure to leave a review, subscribe, and share this podcast with your friends. Now from us here at City Point Church, go seeking to live on mission for the glory of God with this truth stamped over your life that you are loved.